Good morning, church. Um, today's passage comes from the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of a faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have, had, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who, who have been trained by it. Friends, uh, let us pray together. Dear God, we come to you as we come to your word and we ask that you would speak to us now and encourage our hearts that we would fix our eyes on Jesus that we would love him and serve him and honour him and trust him no matter what we face in life, whether the stresses of family life, the stresses of financial issues or even persecution as the uh, early church faced and many churches are facing today, that we would fix our eyes on Christ and have courage and faith to, be, uh, to keep going and, and serving you and living for you and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we do live in a fallen and broken world, don't we? COVID-19 has brought us fear and anxiety and frustration and uncertainty. And it's not over yet. January the 1st, 2021, didn't change anything. We knew that, didn't we? We look forward to the new year, but in fact, it got worse, didn't it? New restrictions from, I think, the 2nd or the 3rd of January in Australia. The UK and Europe and the US are in a mess so many other parts of the world. They kept our church services at 100 again. You only have five visitors to your home. You need to wear a mask. It can be very frustrating, can't it? But there are other signs of brokenness besides COVID as well. Car accidents leave people in wheelchairs. Children die in the womb. Cancer takes a spouse. Adultery shatters a marriage. Financial stress leads to depression and hopelessness. A rebellious child keeps you up all night. Your boss mocks your faith. 
an enemy burns down your church. It's a tough world in which we live and we need resilience, the capacity to bounce back, to persevere, to endure and to do it with joy in the power and strength of God. And let me say, if you've had it easy, don't get comfortable. You never know when tragedy will strike. And so we need to prepare now, build resilience now by focusing on Christ so we are ready for when those tough times come. We need to know God's big picture, that we are men and women who live in light of eternity. We don't live simply for the here and now. We live to be with Christ forever. And so therefore we are to build deep relationships, loving relationships. We are to use our gifts and abilities for the glory of God in 2021. We need to remember, as Kevin prayed, that we don't do this alone, at home, simply on a screen, but we do it in community. In gatherings here on a Sunday, we do it in our Bible study groups that gather right across the week. We do it in kids' ministry, in youth groups and craft groups and, and having people over to our homes as acts of love and hospitality. We gather in coffee shops to talk and read the Bible together. We gather for meals, whatever we happen to do. We don't do it alone, we do it together. One of the ways to build resilience is by doing it together. Friends, the book of Hebrews was written to believers under pressure for them, the pressure was really uh, the pressure of persecution, opposition, suffering, and threats. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So they had faced great opposition, great persecution, but they had their eyes fixed on something far greater than simply those earthly possessions. And friends, struggling and uh, suffering for the gospel was part of the people's daily experience. We do know that from the book of Hebrews that some dropped out of the race, the author reminds the people of the, how they ought to live in view of persecution. That's not a new thing, persecution and suffering and difficulty. Jesus had said in Matthew 24, verse 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Or they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. John chapter 16 Verse 2. So we're not surprised by persecution, nor are we surprised by the ordinary struggles of life. So what should we do? The writer to the Hebrews urges us to run the race with our eyes fixed on Jesus. So he picks up this race metaphor. It's an important one, isn't it? That we are to run. And I want to remind you, it's not simply running a sprint, but it's really running a marathon. You run and you keep running, you keep running, you build spiritual muscle that keeps you going. And he links chapter 12 with what has come before in chapter 11. And remember Hebrews 11, it lists the men and women of faith, men and women who trusted God through difficulties, all types of tension as well as persecution. It says, look back to the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
And that's important, isn't it? That we look back to those who've gone before and see how they handle opposition, how they handle tough times. Did they love Christ? Did they persevere? What helped them to persevere? And we notice that these men and women were faithful. They trusted in God and his promises no matter what happened. And God kept them strong. God kept them secure for all of eternity. We look back. I wonder who you're looking back to. Who are the people that in your church, even here, or previous churches who have been faithful to the end? Uh, Elaine Bailey passed away. We made reference to that and prayed for the family. 59 years in this church, serving Christ, loving others, being hospitable, using her gifts and abilities for others. Faithful believers who've gone before us, who are now in glory with Jesus. You look behind, you look back. Who are the ones? But let me add something else here, especially for families with young children. How we handle persecution, suffering, and difficulty will teach our children and our grandchildren how to handle persecution and suffering. And so I ask you, what do you model? Do you question God? Do you run from God? Do you whinge and whine about your situation? Or do you resiliently run the race with faith and perseverance? Some of us are more complainers, aren't we? Some get more anxious than others. That's part of our temperaments. We understand that. But sometimes we need to take a moment to stop and think, what type of person am I? The whinger, the whiner, the complainer, or the faithful one? The one who trusts in God no matter what. Do you run God down when things are tough? Or do you talk God up? when things are tough. Friends, I look back to many people who've gone before me and I get encouraged. Faithful till the end. It urges me to persevere until the end. Further, not only do we look back to how others have handled life and difficulties, we are to throw off any weights or sin that hinder our running. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, athletes, believe it or not, ran naked in the first century. I don't want to think about that, really. They were to remove everything that hindered so they could run freely and quickly. Now, when I was a teacher at Marrickville High School, uh, the Vietnamese community started to move into the Marrickville area, and we had many students who were Vietnamese, and they would turn up to the, uh, to the athletics carnival. And they didn't have running gear, they didn't have shorts, they didn't have running shoes. They're in their school uniforms, their long pants, and their shirts, and their ties, and their jumper. I said, where's your gear? So oh, this is all I got, sir. And they'd line up, and they would run. They were fast, these kids. And, but I grabbed them afterwards and said, well, yeah, take off that jumper. Take off that tie. Take off anything that will hinder you, I said to them. And then they ran faster. George Guthrie writes, certain possessions and hobbies and patterns of life or even people can occupy us in a way so as to cool our hearts to Christ. We have things added to our lives. Sometimes we need to remove things from our lives or maybe remove a hobby that takes too much time, distracts you from Christ. Maybe a relationship that takes you away from Christ. Maybe whatever it happens to be, maybe a workplace that takes you away from Christ. Good things can stifle our faith. Maybe reading the newspaper, watching Netflix, distracts you from reading God's Word. 
maybe a new relationship, a new romance is distracting you from following Christ. You haven't weighed in on in, uh, the impact of this relationship in light of your relationship with Christ. Maybe a sport such as golf can be a source of physical exercise and fellowship, and that's great, but it may cause a person to neglect his or her family. Maybe the pull of popularity or position or place in our given life occupations may stunt our spiritual life. You see, the book of Hebrews says, take off all those things. Take off anything that will stop you running with perseverance the race. And more than that, not only those weights, but get rid of any sin that so easily entangles. It could be greed or hatred or pride. It could be lust. It could be any number of things. It says, get rid of the sins that entangle you and hold you back from running this race. We need to be men and women of obedience, men and women who love God's word. And when we hear it, we want to obey it rather than obey and to give in to sin. I remember a young man who left the church here at Nawi years ago, and he chose to, have, to put having sex with his girlfriend above obedience to Christ. He took sex over the Savior. Devastating. Because the Bible says there's the fleeting pleasure of sin, but it's only fleeting. And at least a destruction. Or another person who begins to doubt God and leaves his spouse to find a more younger, more appealing partner. Whatever the sin is for you, it says, get rid of it. And then run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The main clause in chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, is translated, let us run. Let us run. It's the image of running, of enduring and exerting effort and energy in this, uh, in this marathon for Christ. You have to understand, you have to run with endurance because it's tough. It's Christian life. It's not easy, is it? I was running an evangelistic course a few years ago and uh, we explained what the Christian was, how to become a Christian and what Christ had done for us. I also uh, spoke about the sufferings, the cost of commitments. And if you've done the course, the evangelistic course called Christianity Explained, there's a section in there on the cost of commitments. And afterwards, someone said to me, why did you tell them about the cost? That will scare them away from Jesus. Why did you just tell them about the love of Jesus? I said, you can't just tell them about the love of Jesus if you don't tell them about the cost. Because Jesus, to follow Jesus, means it's going to be costly. It's going to lead to opposition. It's going to lead to difficulty. You must give them the full gospel. It is a race marked out for us. There is a sovereign king. I love this. There's a race marked out for us, and God is in control. There'll be obstacles. There'll be opposition. There'll be trials and temptations. But there's a wonderful finish line, eternity with Jesus. A few years ago, I spoke at what's called the Next Gen Conference at Katoomba. The theme was, stand firm, hold fast. I like that. Stand firm, hold fast. And a part of the interview process before I got to speak was they, they asked me, uh, was there an example, a time when I had to stand firm, hold fast? I said, well, you have to understand that as a Greek convert to an evangelical church, it was a constant battle in the early years. Dad threatened to burn my Bible and stop me from attending the Christian group where I was saved. I said, you can burn my Bible and ban me from the group, but you can't take Jesus away from me. I knew the race would be hard, the opposition strong, but I knew that Jesus was a great saviour. There's a race to run, 
Suffering is part of the deal, but we have a wonderful reward in the end. As you run, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And not simply look at Jesus every so often. No, no, no. It's not like, oh, you know, a bit of Jesus there, a bit of sport there, a bit of Sydney FC there, a bit of holidays there. No, no. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter, or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author or the pioneer of our faith. He's the champion, the leader, the forerunner, the initiator of our faith. He's the author of our salvation. But he's also the perfecter or the pioneer, sorry, or the perfecter of our faith. He has accomplished our salvation and he's made possible the new covenant to be established through his death and his resurrection, through his sacrificial death on the cross. He said, this Jesus endured the cross. In order to make salvation possible to perfect our faith, he endured the cross. The lowest form of capital punishment in the Roman world, reserved for slaves and criminals, involving both torture and public humiliation. He endured that. He scorned the shame, he says. He turned this experience inside out. Instead of scorning the scorn, he scorned the shame. He treated the shame as insignificant, of little consequence because of the joy to come. Jesus was on the cross thinking, I'm going to win. I'm going to achieve something through my death on, on the cross. I'm going to persevere. There is a joy to come. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why did he endure the cross to scorn the shame? Because he was going to save his people from their sins. He was going to delight his father by completing his work, John 17, verse 4. He was going to bring many sons to glory, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. He focused on the joy and endured the cross. He did not quit. He did not give up. He finished strong. And where did he finish? Seated at the right hand of God. Following his resurrection and ascension, Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. He rules the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is in control. He is sovereign. He says, look to him and you won't lose heart. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you struggling? Are you being persecuted? Are you suffering? Have you stopped running? Look to Jesus. He is the only one who can ultimately inspire you and help you. There's a book by Gordon MacDonald called The Resilient Life. It tells a story of E. Stanley Jones. Uh, Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary and evangelist who spent more than 50 years of his life in India. At the age of 83, after a lifetime of constant world travel, during which he spoke to millions of people, met with presidents and prime ministers, and was instrumental in the conversion of countless people, he suffered a debilitating stroke. It left him without speech nor physical mobility. All his knowledge, all his insight, all his experiences, couldn't speak, couldn't move. It says, in the waning months before he died, Jones managed to mutter through virtually paralyzed lips the manuscript of a remarkable book. So he's still doing God's work, even through his stroke. He mutters a book, short, admittedly disjointed at places. The book is E. Stanley Jones' final declaration of faithfulness to Jesus. 
And friends, in one amazing paragraph, he writes this. I love this. There are scars on my faith, but underneath those scars, there are no doubts. Christ has me with the consent of all my being and with the cooperation of all my life. Not the temporary exuberance of youth that often fades when middle and old age sets in with their disillusionment and cynicism. No, I'm 83, and I'm more excited today about being a Christian than I was at 18 when I first put my feet upon the way. That's resilience, isn't it? That's persevering, isn't it? At 83, more in love and more excited about following Jesus than then than he was as an 18-year-old. Friends, God wants us to look at Jesus and not lose heart. But secondly, verses 4 to 11, and I'll just do it with briefly, suffering leads to holiness. He says, so don't lose heart. God has a purpose in our suffering. God has a purpose in our persecution. First of all, we had to endure it and focus on Jesus, but we also need to realize that God's going to produce something in us when we stay firm in him. Love disciplines, he says, so do not lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus has shed his blood. Jesus has suffered. He said, it's okay, guys. You haven't gone that far yet. Keep going. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes Everyone he accepts as a son. So God wants us to see our sufferings and our persecutions and our difficulties uh, as a way in which God is disciplining us and growing us and maturing us in our walk with him. To build right character, right perspective, right motives. God can use even the persecution of our enemies to make us like Jesus. And let me also say even more than that, when God allows us to go through persecution and suffering and even difficulties, all types of difficulties, it is normally in those times and through those times that we become more like Jesus. We build backbone, we build spiritual strength and maturity. And it says, endure hardship as fatherly discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Discipline, he says, is a validating mark of our relationship to God as Father. Sometimes we think when things go wrong, we're suffering, we're struggling, well, God's not with us. No, no, what the writer says, no, the fact that we are suffering for Christ is a sign that we truly belong to Christ and God is really with us. And in us, that we are true children of the Father. And friends, I must say from personal experience, I still look back to those teenage years where life was tough in my family to be a follower of Jesus. Where opposition was everywhere, where every time I turned my back, someone mocked my faith. And someone labeled me a Jehovah's Witness or someone labeled me something else. Uh, to mock me and to insult me. And I realized that as... Christ held on to me as I held on to Christ. I became stronger in him and more useful to him in the long term. Be strong, be faithful. And there was a time when I was silly enough to pray, God, will you send us more persecution? Because the church in the West is so soft. 
maybe we need a greater persecution to mark us out as authentic believers, to build strength, spiritual strength, emotional strength, to live for him. And recognize God's purpose in discipline. What's the purpose? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. I love this. That we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. So true, isn't it? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So of course discipline or suffering is not pleasant, but painful. I've been through some times in my life that I, I just call out to God, God, why? Why are you allowing this to take place? God, it's not fair. God, I've done this for you. I've served you. I wanted you. God, why? And maybe you've done the same as well. God, why? And you take a step back. You fix your eyes on Jesus who suffered and died for you. And I remember the words, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Get a perspective, a biblical perspective of how to handle these situations. God humbles you and God remakes you into the image of Jesus. But in conclusion, let me uh, say, C.S. Lewis notes the meaningfulness of pain. Writing on the whole issue of pain and suffering and persecution, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How true that is. Sometimes people will not listen, will not consider God until a calamity happens, until a tragedy takes place. And Guthrie writes, we too in the Christian community can turn a deaf ear to this language of God, this pain language, or at best strain to hear God's message through our difficulties, especially when they come at the hands of unfair and hurtful people. We weep at our emotional loss, our bitter sense of rejection and being misunderstood. Our pain deafens us to God's music playing in the background, music that seeks to teach us to sing joyfully of what God can do in us, even while others seek to do harm to us. Let me say that again. Our pain deafens us to God's music playing in the background, music that seeks to teach us to sing joyfully of what God can do in us, even while others seek to do harm to us. But we must ask him to discipline our ears to hear, to help us rouse ourselves to readiness for receiving what he wishes to teach us through our painful experiences. Friends, resilient people know the place of suffering. They fix their eyes on Jesus and they run. They run with perseverance and endurance the race marked us or marked up for us. May God help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance in 2021. We pray. Lord God, we thank you for the challenge and the call to run with perseverance. But we do thank you also that you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us to run, to empower us. We thank you for giving us your word to encourage us, to instruct us, to teach us. And we do thank you today, God, that you would even use suffering and persecution to, to transform us into holy disciples who live for your glory. And it's our prayer, God, that uh, you would use us as a church in 2021 to share your good news with others, 
to keep living for you no matter what happens with any COVID restrictions, with, with any wars, with any calamities, with any, any storms, whatever happens, Lord, help us to trust in you. Whatever opposition comes, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because God, you are able to save us and to help us and to make us like Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite the, uh, the band to come up. We're going to sing a beautiful song titled, God is Able. And uh, where we are reminded that it is God who helps us to run. It is God who gives us the strength to keep going.